So I need two volunteers. I would like, I don't know, a nine or 10 year old boy and I'd like a nine or 10 year old girl. So I'm looking for one, I'm looking for somebody. Somebody be bold, somebody step up. Right there. No, right there, you on the end. Come on, let's go. We got one, now I need one more. I need, okay, I'll take two girls. I'll take, I'll take whatever I can get at this point. I thought this would go better. I thought somebody, okay, here we go. Come on, come on, let's come on up. Okay, thank you very, let's come, what, gee, people welcome them. This is, it's not so bad up here, is it? You see all them people smiling at you? They're smiling, aren't they? Except for that woman back there in like the 10th row with a frown on her, tell her to smile. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Okay, would you tell these people, and you get to be loud in church. Like I know your parents tell you, shh, be quiet in church. Tell everybody your name. My name is Grace. Louder, Grace. My name is Grace. Good. And tell everybody your name. My name is Sophia. Grace and Sophia. Welcome them again, please. You guys are very... Name. You want to tell your middle name? No, but, she, but her name is my middle name. This is crazy that God brought this together. Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk over here to this vase that is full of water. Would you guys come on over here? And I need, so you got you to position yourself so they can see your pretty faces. They like it when they get to see you. Okay, see this vase full of water? Yeah. I'm going to ask you both the same question. And I want you to just be honest. It's a simple question. It's not a trick question. I want you both to be honest with me, okay? Which one of you wants to go first? Okay, now, okay, perfect. Is this vase half empty or half full? Uh, half full. Half full, okay. Same, same question for you. Is the vase half empty or half full? It's both. This part is half empty and this part's half full. <laughs> Thank you very much. You can go back to your mommies and daddies now. can't plan for this stuff. <laughs> a vase full of water. And when we come to vases full of water, we often look at that vase and we see that there's water in that vase. And in any given situation that we're in in our lives, or when we look at life in general, we often pick a perspective. Follow me? Sometimes we look at the vase and we think to ourselves, certainly that's half full. Other times we look at it and we think, that's half empty. Half empty or half full? I wonder when you look at the condition of the world in which we live, I wonder if you, what you think to yourself. Half empty or half full? There's a war that's going on in Ukraine that doesn't only threaten the people of Ukraine, which is bad enough, it threatens the stability of all of Europe, even the stability of the world. Think about our economy. This past year, since January, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down about 14%. Inflation is over 8%. Gasoline is hovering around $5 a gallon. Recently, the Supreme Court finally overturned Roe versus Wade. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very good news. It's right. But it seems to me as I've been watching the news that there seem to be more and more people that 
think there is a right to end life in the womb? Or how about closer to home, your own personal life? Is the glass half empty or half full? This past week, I was looking through the Calvary prayer pages. And it's a prayer list that we have at Calvary where you can pray for people who are going through difficulties and trials in life. And as I was going through and reading the list and praying for the people on the list, it was a bit overwhelming. A young girl that has sores all over her body and stomach pain. There's a woman who hasn't seen her parents in over 10 years due to international issues. A man with congestive heart failure. Multiple people that were going to have PET scans in the next few weeks. Dementia issues. Financial struggles. When you think of things in our world and you think of things personally in our lives, it almost seems like you come to the glass and it's obvious. Or it seems obvious the glass is certainly half empty. But it's not. The glass is half full. And you know why the glass is half full? The glass is half full because God is sovereign. He's in control. He has a plan. And he is working out that plan. He is working out that plan on a macro level. And he is also working out that plan on a micro level. And this morning, I want you to know that God doesn't just have a plan for everybody else. God has a plan and a purpose for you. I don't know what you may be going through this morning. I don't know what difficulty, I don't know what trial, but God has a plan and a purpose for you. If you would, would you take your Bibles and open them up to Genesis chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40. It's on page 34 in the Bible that the church provides. This morning we're continuing our study in the story of Joseph. And if you'll recall, at the end of Genesis 39, we left Joseph in prison. But remember what God said to us in Genesis chapter 39. In verse 2, he said that he was with Joseph in Potiphar's house. And then in Genesis 39, verse 21, he said he was with Joseph in prison. The life of Joseph, maybe more than any other character in the Bible, demonstrates God's providence. It demonstrates, that means it, that God is sovereign, that he is in control, and that he has a plan. And as we come and look at the story of Joseph, this morning the encouragement is, is not only did God have a plan and a purpose for Joseph, but he has a plan and a purpose for you, and he has a plan and he has a purpose for me. So as we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 40, we find Joseph in prison 
with Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker. Essentially, they had done something wrong. They had upset Pharaoh, so he threw them into prison. While they were in prison, they were given to Joseph for Joseph to take care of them. After some time in prison, each of them had a dream. The dream caused them distress. Joseph notices that the cupbearer and the baker are distressed. So he asks them what's wrong. Look at the second half of verse 7. Why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered. But there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. This is so interesting to me. Joseph is in prison, but he gives God credit. Even in prison, Joseph knew that God was in control, that he was sovereign, that he had a plan, and Joseph was going to give God all the credit. Look what it says. Interpretations belong to God. We need to learn from Joseph. Joseph always pointed to God in all circumstances and in all situations. Well, the cupbearer and the baker both told Joseph their dreams. Joseph then interpreted the dreams. There was good news for the cupbearer. So Joseph asked the cupbearer to remember him when he went back to Pharaoh. But there was bad news for the baker. Pick up the story. Look at verse 20. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday. And he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. The good news. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Here's the bad news. But he impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Joseph interpreted the dreams correctly. But look at that last sentence. It's haunting. Verse 23. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. At this time, Joseph is 28 years old. And he's been a slave or a prisoner for 11 years. It's a long time. It's a big chunk of Joseph's life. Do you wonder what Joseph is thinking at this point in his journey? I was wondering, I've been wondering. Think about his circumstances. He had been rejected by his brothers. He had been sold into slavery. He had been unjustly imprisoned. And now, forgotten. But remember, God was with Joseph. While Joseph was going through all these trials and difficulties, God was working out his plan and it was being fulfilled. Now, I don't know if God caused Joseph's trials and difficulties, but at the very least, he allowed Joseph's trials and difficulties. 
everything that is happening in Joseph's life has a purpose. It is meant to build his faith. It is meant to build his godly character. It is meant to mature Joseph into the person that God needs him to be. God is molding and shaping Joseph. This is God's pattern throughout scripture. The Levites, God's priestly people, are trained to be priests from a young age, yet they do not become priests until they're 30 years old. Moses, Moses lived his first 40 years in Egypt. And then he has another 40 in the desert. And it isn't until he's about 80 years old that, until things really start to happen in his life. David, David was anointed king as a boy, but he does not become king until he reaches 30 years old. The apostle Paul was trained as a Pharisee. Then he's knocked down. He spends three years in a desert before he finally comes to fully serve Jesus. The apostles themselves, the apostles themselves spend three years in training before they really start their earthly ministry. And Jesus, Jesus doesn't start his public ministry until he's 30 years old. And the Bible tells us it's because he had to mature and grow in stature. This is God's pattern of training, of building faith, of growing godly character. Here's the point. God prepares those he intends to use. And sometimes, actually more than sometimes, most times, God uses trials, he uses difficulties, and he even uses suffering to make us more like Jesus, to build our faith, to build our godly character, to mature us into the people that he needs us to be, to do what he has called us to do. It's the trial, it's the difficulty, it's the suffering, it's the time of feeling abandoned, it's the time of feeling alone, it's the time of lament that we go through, where the only place we have to turn is to Jesus. Nobody else can provide an answer. Nobody else can give you the reason why what's going on in your life. Yes, people offer kind words. They say they're praying. Put their arm around you. Come alongside of you. But ultimately, the pain and the hurt and the difficulty causes you to go to the only one who can give comfort. And that is Jesus. And what he is doing, my friends, is he is building your faith. He is growing your godly character. He is making you into the person that he needs you to be. And I know, I know it is not easy, but it is true. Back to the story. Genesis 41. Look at that first verse of chapter 41. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. <laughs> Can you imagine? Two more years in prison. Joseph's now 30 years old, and he has spent 13 years in slavery or in prison. 
But have you noticed? We haven't seen a single complaint from Joseph. Not even one. We're told that Pharaoh had two dreams and he was troubled by the dreams. Further, we're told that no one in his court could interpret those dreams. Not one of his magicians or one of his wise men. I'm sure that that likely made Pharaoh even more upset. At this point, the cupbearer remembers Joseph, so he told Pharaoh about the Hebrew in prison who accurately interpreted his dream and the baker's dream. So Pharaoh called for Joseph. Pick up the story in verse 15. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he deserves. Even after 13 years in slavery and in prison, Joseph testifies to God's presence, his power, and his goodness. Pharaoh then shared his dreams with Joseph. Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dreams and told Pharaoh that there would be seven years of great abundance, <clears throat> excuse me, and then seven years of famine. He then instructed Pharaoh to plan ahead to provide for his people. Look at Pharaoh's response in verse 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all of this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. God moves Joseph into the position that he has been preparing for him in order to accomplish God's plan. God knew that the people of Israel, that Jacob, his sons, and all of their people had to leave Canaan. The pagan culture of Canaan was polluting the people of God, so God moves them to Egypt knowing that the Egyptians will not interact with the Hebrews in the same way, and he is moving them there to form them into a nation and God knew that there was a famine coming and he knew that he needed to provide for people and he knew he needed to provide for Jacob and his 12 sons. When in this coming famine, all of this was God's plan and he prepared Joseph and he used Joseph to accomplish that plan. But I want to look a bit more closely at this plan so that you see God's divine hand in this plan. Because not only does God have a plan, but his timing is remarkable. It is impeccable that God's hand was in working in and through Joseph's life. There was nothing that was left to chance. There was nothing that was lucky. There were no circumstances beyond God's control. I'd like you to notice God's timing in this. I'd like you to think about all the things that had to happen, things that had to line up in order 
for Joseph to stand before Pharaoh. And they all happened. Think about this list. Number one, Potiphar's wife had to wrongly accuse Joseph. Two, Joseph had to be sent to prison. Three, the warden had to like Joseph and give him access through the prison. Four, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker had to be put in prison. Five, Joseph had to see them when they were both depressed and had to talk to them about their dreams. Six, Joseph had to be able to interpret their dreams. Seven, the cupbearer had to remember the experience for two years. Eight, the cupbearer had to be present the day Pharaoh's dreams were unexplained. Nine, Pharaoh had to be willing to bring a prisoner into his court to interpret the dreams. Ten, Joseph had to receive the interpretations of Pharaoh's dreams from God. All the pieces of the puzzle had to fall in place. They had to completely line up in the way that they did so that Joseph could stand before Pharaoh and end up rising to the number two position in all of Egypt. Do you see everything that God did? Do you see everything that God did? His timing is perfect. There was nothing that was outside of his sovereignty, outside of his control, outside of his plan. He lined everything up, one thing after another. And think about this. How do you get the most powerful man in the world to call out a prisoner out of prison to come meet with him? You give him a problem that he is unable to resolve. You give him a problem that none of his advisors can adequately answer. None of his wise men, none of his magicians could address or interpret his dreams. God's timing and his plan are completely perfect. I don't know what your trial or your difficulty is this morning. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know if God has put that trial or difficulty in your life or if he has just allowed it in your life. But what I do know is that God's timing is perfect and his plan is perfect. And what he is doing is he is molding you and he is shaping you. He is making you more like Jesus. He is growing your faith and developing your godly character. And I know, I know that when you think about your trial or your difficulty, you look at the glass and you think to yourself, that thing is half empty. So this morning, I'd like to give you three challenges. Three challenges when the glass feels like it is half empty. There are three challenges to believe. The first challenge, when you are experiencing the trials and the difficulties of life, the first challenge 
is believe that God is with you in your suffering. Believe that God is with you in your suffering. Joseph believed that God was with him. In Genesis 39, we're told two times in verse two, God was with Joseph in Potiphar's house. And in verse 21, God was with Joseph in prison. And then in chapters 40 and 41, we're told that Joseph gives credit to God as the interpreter of dreams. Joseph knew not only when he's in Potiphar's house, but while he was in prison, that God's presence was with him and God's presence meant blessing and God's presence meant that he was going to be able to interpret the dreams. Joseph knew that God was with him in his suffering. He believed it at his core. The danger for many of us as followers of Jesus, Jesus, as Christians today, as we sometimes believe or we think, and some people even teach this, that if you just have enough faith, if you just believe strongly enough, you're never going to go through a trial. You're never going to have a difficulty. There'll be no suffering. Just have enough faith. There's nothing that could be further from the truth. See, God is using the trials and the difficulties of life to mold and to shape you, to give you more faith, to give you godly character, to make you more like Jesus. He's using those trials and those difficulties in order to accomplish his plan through you and through me. Believe this morning that God is with you in your suffering. Right now, if you don't have it already in your mind, I'd like you to think about the trial or the difficulty that you're experiencing. What is the hardship right now that you're going through? Here's what God says to you. God says to you, I will never leave you or forsake you. Believe that God is with you in your suffering. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This past week, I read that verse over and over again. And I felt God upholding me with his righteous right hand. Believe that God is with you in your suffering. Challenge number two, believe that God will deliver you from your suffering. Believe that God will deliver you from your suffering. When I read the story of Joseph, I see this faith 
in God, this belief that no matter what he was experiencing, Joseph down deep inside believed that God was going to deliver him and ultimately going to raise him up into who God had called him to be. I have to think that when the cupbearer and the baker came to Joseph and they're talking about their dreams, that Joseph had to think back to his two dreams to the time when he dreamt that he was going to be greater than his brothers and even greater than his father, Jacob. And I have to think that while he was sitting in prison, he had to be thinking to himself that God has promised to deliver me. He's promised to raise me up. He didn't know what time, he didn't know when that was going to happen. But as he's interpreting the dream of the cupbearer and the dream of the baker, he had to be thinking to himself, someday God is going to raise me up. And he's thinking that because God had given him a divine revelation. And Joseph believed God's divine revelation. God has given you and me divine revelation as well. Believe that God is going to deliver you from your suffering. Look at the divine revelation that God has given to you and given to me. James 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Look at the verse. Look at what God is saying to you this morning. This is his divine revelation to you and to me. Consider it pure joy, pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let that perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Believe that God is going to deliver you from your suffering. And then look at these, this verse from 1 Peter chapter 5. And the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Believe. Believe that God will deliver you from your suffering. And then the third challenge in the midst of trials. Believe that you can serve others. Joseph, in the midst of his trials, in the midst of his difficulty, instead of wallowing in self-pity or complaining about his situation or even getting distressed beyond measure, Joseph chose to selfishly, selflessly serve other people. Look at chapter 40, verse 4. 
The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. That phrase, he attended them, in the original Hebrew, that's normally not an expression for menial service. That is an expression that is used for ministerial or pastoral service. Joseph recognized that in his trial, he was called to selflessly serve other people. He was called not to focus upon himself, but to focus on the needs, the concerns, and the cares of other and because Joseph chose to minister because he chose to serve it kept him from complaining it kept him from self-pity and it kept him from despair serving others always has a beneficial effect not only for the people that you serve but it has a beneficial effect for the one who is doing the serving Believe that you can, in the midst of your suffering, can selflessly serve other people. God has this beautiful way of using people who are in the midst of a trial or a difficulty or some form of suffering to selflessly serve other people. He has this wonderful way of taking us in the midst of our pain and calling us to help other people. In essence, what happens is we end up becoming a wounded healer. See, God has called each one of us to be helpers, to be healers, to serve other people. But it's often only when you've been through some difficult trial or suffering that you have the requisite level of compassion, of kindness, of caring, of empathy that allows you to open up your heart and reach out to someone else who is in need. You become a wounded healer. And God takes that thing which has caused you pain and hurt and difficulty and miraculously uses it so that you can minister, so that you can care for somebody else that is going through a trial or a difficulty. God can take that which actually hurts us the most and use it to help others to bring him honor and glory. Believe that you can care for other people and don't waste the opportunity to use your trial or your hurt or your pain to care for somebody else who is going through a difficulty. And it's so interesting to me that God used Joseph's very act of service to breathe the thing that actually brought him before Pharaoh. Think about that with me for a minute. If Joseph had not reached out to the cupbearer and the baker, if he had not stepped into their lives, he would not have had the opportunity to meet them where they were at to interpret their dream. And when the cupbearer went back to Pharaoh, there would have been no remembrance of Joseph. It was the act of service that actually became the thing that God used to take him and bring him out of the prison. Believe. 
believe that God is with you in your suffering. Believe that God will deliver you from your suffering. Believe that God will allow you and call you to still serve others in the midst of your suffering. We have looked at the life of Joseph and we have seen in Joseph's life that God is sovereign. He is in control. He has a plan. And he often uses trials and difficulties and hardship and sufferings as part of his plan. And it becomes personal because he's using it to mold and to shape Joseph into the person that he has called him to be so that he is ready to accomplish the plan that God has called him to accomplish. It is no different for you or for me. God has a sovereign plan. He is in control of all things. He is in control of the circumstances and the situations in your life. And that includes the trials, the difficulties, and the sufferings. And he is using those things to mold you and to shape you, to build your faith, to increase your godly character. My friends, he is using those things to make you more like Jesus. Why? So that you can accomplish the good works he has ordained for you to do before the beginning of time. This is the way God works, my friends. He is molding and he is shaping you and me to be more like Jesus. Because the only way that you are going to be able to reach that person in your family that doesn't know Jesus, the person in your neighborhood, the person at work, the person at school, the only way is when you and I are more like Jesus when we have the level of compassion, of care, of empathy that is needed to reach out to a world that is lost. Belief. Which brings us to the table of our Lord Jesus Christ. We come to this table because we believe. Because we believe that Jesus lived a sinful life. Because we believe that he died on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Because we believe that Jesus Christ conquered death and he lives and he reigns today. And we believe that someday he is going to return and we are all going to join him in heaven for eternal life with Jesus Christ. And because we believe those things, we believe that Jesus is with us in our sufferings. We believe that Jesus will deliver us from our sufferings. And we believe, we believe that we can selflessly care for others. Amen. I'm going to now ask one of our elders, Dan Challa, to come up and lead us in prayer.